Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. PHI Apparel Company. PHI Apparel Company provides unique designs and high-quality clothing for the great fans of the Philadelphia area. With their original designs for all, there's no doubt that they'll stand out in the crowd. Act now and listeners can use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off any apparel when you shop online at phiapparel.co. That's phiapparel.co. Remember to use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off. Act now while supplies last. Yes, please check out phiapparel.co. Some things are going down in Philadelphia, that is for sure. The Phillies are not done messing around, that is for sure. But just like I said, the deadline is coming up. There's only a few more days of that, and we will be running and gunning for the final stretch of the MLB season. That is for real. Sports series, I'm going to do the best that I can to make this solid hour electric as best as I can, as best as I can. There's a lot to get into, and I'm going to try and mix this up as awesome as I can. Uh, I'm not under the weather, but I'm struggling. Um, But first and foremost, I, I don't even know how I want to begin this, right? So uh, let me let me do this the right way because um, I'm saving the best for last. You got to you got to save the entree for last. But there's a lot of news going around a lot of sports worlds. Um, 
I'll start with my situation personally. In Detroit, there's some very interesting situations going on, very interesting situations. This is the Lions. Um, CJGJ being Chauncey Gardner-Johnson had went down a few days ago. He's now back. But he had uh, suffered an injury that everybody thought was kind of catastrophic, and it wasn't. Thank goodness the MRI revealed that nothing was structurally damaged to his lower extremity. I think it was his right knee, if I'm not mistaken. Then uh, a fan favorite, and I'm not going to lie, I like this guy a lot. And Tom Kennedy, he gets injured. Now, this is the tough part about camp because this is a lot of things that people worry about in preseason camp and things of that nature. You're going to suffer injuries, but it's who makes it, who doesn't. The Detroit Lions receiver room is so loaded. He played a few games for the Lions last year. He was basically stuffed on the practice squad here and there. Like when they needed him, they brought him back. But now they got Jamison Williams and everybody back in the roster. They're trying to keep everybody there that are the guns. And I can't take it away from Kennedy. He's a good receiver. Durable, sturdy. When you need him, he's there. But he's not as good as the big names. He got injured in his upper chest area. The Lions cut this guy. And I'm taking it personal because I like this guy a lot. He is one of those scrappy receivers. Quick, he's like a a poor man's, and I don't even want to call him that, but a poor man's Wes Walker to me. This, this is what I like about him because he could get open, he could get catches, but he just hasn't really got the time to shine. And um, they, this is when they're picking up Denzel Mims from the Jets. This is a big pickup for the Lions. Now, going into Saturday, this is what is so bothersome about trying to make it through these dog days of summer. Um, pro bowler, I can't say all pro because he didn't get it, but pro bowler Penny Sewell is in concussion protocol. They said that the reports are coming out of camp that he may he's sitting a few days, but he'll be back within the week. He is so big to that offensive line, it's like, please don't have another setback, but these injuries are going to happen and occur at the same time. I'm hoping Penny is okay, but I don't want this to be a spiraling situation because notably, especially across the NFL, when a player gets a concussion, it repeats itself down the road. And I don't want this to be a lingering situation because he literally is head-to-head with 260 on up type men, whether it's a defensive end or a defensive tackle or somebody coming downhill from the linebacker position, he's having to deal with chaos every single play. And and we definitely need him. And he's worth uh, the price of admission. And they're actually trying to give him the leader label in Detroit. So um, this is the personal situation that I'm getting up to this morning, reading about Penny Sewell, especially watching CJ GJ go down and, um, Tom Kennedy now off of the roster, but they're saying that there may be glimpses of him coming back depending on how they structure the situation around his injury, if if he does a settlement, so on and so forth. If he misses a certain amount of time, they're going to have to stuff him somewhere. I I don't know, but it's unfortunate that a fan favorite that a lot of people wanted to see play, but now that Detroit is gaining traction and have names that they don't have to rely on the people that just fall in love with people on that roster is is crowded now in Detroit and I I'm I'm sad that he's a casualty of 
an injury in camp, and he was fighting like crazy. And even in hard knocks last year, if you watched the Detroit Lions on hard knocks last year, he was the one that was going crazy at the receiver position but ended up getting cut. And uh, Dan Campbell was up there yelling at him about why he had to cut him. And you could tell Kennedy wasn't even the one, like, talking about being on the roster. Kennedy wanted to play. He wanted to be on the roster. But I could tell Dan Campbell was taking it more personal that Kennedy was. So this is this is what makes it tough about these situations in the summertime. Okay, so that is one of the situations, Sports City. Two, um, I, I, I got to save that for later. Um, in the NFL still, we are having a situation that is happening with running backs at this point in time. Um, running backs are getting paid. They're not looking at running backs. They're devaluing the running back position. It's an interesting name. I can't really say big. To me, it's big because I know him very well. But it's an interesting name. Sonny Michelle retires from the NFL today. Um, This is Sonny Michelle's – he was going into his sixth season. So this is his fifth season. He was struggling to make a roster, but we all notably know that he was on New England and the Rams on two different rosters and actually an impact running back. But um, knowing that they're having so much melee trying to sign a running back, it's probably tough for Sonny Michelle to get a job. I'm wondering if an uh, NFL team will go after him and try to bring him into a uh, organization, but that will be a tough scenario to get Sonny Michelle to come there and take <laughs> a minimum. I-, I can tell that's what will be in front of him because there's a lot of teams that don't want to mess with him as of now, and they're not even trying to mess with the big-name running back. So I can just imagine what team would take a uh, a note on him and try to bring him into their organization and try to intrigue him out of, you know, five years of work. Um, this is very interesting watching how the running back position basically pulled me into the sport of football. I mean, I love every position in the game and fell in love with this game a long time ago, but my favorite football team of all time is the Detroit Lions. Barry Sanders is my, the reason why I love that team. And um, it's taking that away from people and, and, I don't I don't know if it'll ever come back to the glory days of the Emmets, the Barrys, the Barry Fosters, that those years of the early nineties, things of that day and Jerome Bettis's, you're not gonna really see power packs. They're already saying that they're gonna make the fullback position extinct. It, it's hard to see teams with the fullback in front of a running back now because it's more spread sets, this is more of a passing game as of late. So this is gonna be tough. But knowing that Sonny Michelle is out of the league Young, I could still remember seeing him in a Georgia Bulldog jersey. So, uh, Sonny Michelle is now out of the league until further notice. Um, Sports City, I'm trying to dodge every bullet I can before I get into the meat and potatoes of this situation because it's going to get pretty ugly when I get down and dirty in this building, that is for sure. Um, the one crazy situation that I'm looking at <laughs> – is across the fighting world, and, and I don't want to go there just yet. I I, I um I got to kind of keep this kitchen as hot as possible. Okay, okay, I, I see. I was, I was reading a lot of notes, and I do have some attention in the building. We have Mr. Harvey in the kitchen. Mike, welcome to the brunch. How are you feeling this morning? Man, always doing good. Happy Sunday. When I get to do this with you for the brunch, man, like you said, a lot of stuff to get to this morning. So uh, excited to see it. Yeah, you mentioned the running backs, man. Uh, You know, like you said, 
the big name guys that have contributed in this league uh, having trouble getting jobs. Much less guys deciding to walk away. So Sony Michelle steps away. If that doesn't have a job, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what continues to happen with this running back position. Okay, I don't know if you heard the the early portion of what I said too. Um, damn, I, I I got you late. Uh, I don't know you was busy. I had to start the show and see how I could get things going. Did you hear what was going on in Detroit as of the past week? And if not the past week, at least from the news from yesterday going into today, uh, uh, Penny Sewell's news. Yeah, that's when I got in when you were talking about uh, when you were talking about Penny. Um, yeah, he's a he's an anchor for that line. He's really important. So, I mean, yeah, I th- I think the one thing that you you want to do, especially this time of year, is give him a little time. Uh, make sure the you know you have a chance to recover from that concussion best as possible, uh, so it doesn't linger. But yeah, I mean, Penay Sewell's been uh, a rock on that offensive line, so. Uh, you know, hopefully give him a little time right now. He's still kind of early, and um, he'll be, you know, back in that position, able to anchor that line this season uh, for the Lions. And I I don't – he's a big piece of the line. I say he's number two. The anchor of that line is all pro Frank uh, Ragnow. Uh, he, he's probably one of the best, if not the best center in the game. But Penne is just as big, plus he's young too. Knowing that they did concentrate on getting alignment and Corey Swordsdale out of William and Mary, they want to put him at guard, but he's played guard and tackle, and he's an all-American and good. So it's like if anything happens to Penny, like he's one of the backups. So I want to see how that handles. But I don't even want to talk about Penny being hurt. Like it's too early to watch him be hurt. But the crazy part is, is how good this defense has gotten. And it's one off season. It's one off season. Brad Holmes is the messiah for Detroit, doing a lot of work, bringing names out of the draft and free agency there. That these players are now challenging the offensive line that people still considered at least the top five. I'm saying they're top three, but at least the top five offensive line. So it's interesting to see this be a challenge early. And um, I I hope they can do as best as they can with Penny Sewell, no contact to try to keep him in shape on field as best as he possibly can, keep his legs and, you know, arms into the game, but just make sure his head is not touched and keep him out there because we, we need him lockstep as best as possible and coherent as, as, as much as possible as well. Okay, so um, I'm trying to do my best, Mike, without touching any of the, the, uh, the fireworks because it's going to get real ugly in a few minutes in here, that is for sure. Um I'll dive right into it. I'm going to go into baseball first before I get to the fireworks. Um, The crazy part about this is I know you guys hear me every week talk about a team that is nearby me, close to home, like crazy, about 35, 40 minutes away from me, and they've been struggling with everything that they've done in the offseason going into this season. Last season, they didn't do well either. Every single year, it's always an interesting story coming out of Queens, New York City. Um, the Mets have now traded Max Scherzer to the Texas Rangers, and they're leading the West at this point in time, and they need his arm. This is a crazy trade that Scherzer's going from 
a desperation situation to a contender, or uh, at least approaching the fall. So this is a good move for Scherzer. Questionable for the Mets. I, I don't know why or how they let go of a big name like this midseason, but I know that the way that they started out the season and where the record stands, I think they looked at it like we're, they're not going to be competitive um, at the end of the season, more or less. Let me say it like that. They can be competitive all they want throughout the regular season, but I don't think they'll be able to contend uh, to get a uh, first or second uh wild card spot, things of that nature. But, Mike, your thoughts on the Scherzer deal that sent him to Texas? So this is real interesting. Uh, I'm going to amend one of my statements from earlier this year. You know, there are a couple times this year where we've gone back and forth and talked about the quote-unquote most disappointing team in baseball uh, the season. Several times that I've said the Cardinals, uh, I'm going to go on record now and say that as disappointing as the Cardinals season has been, uh, the Mets have now taken over that dubious title as most disappointing team in the game this year. And a lot of the reason why, it's just because of those sky-high expectations. This team went all in. Uh, the owners said, I don't really care. I just want to win. So they put together this roster. They basically commit $80-plus million to two aces uh, on the pitching staff to sort of anchor things. Um, and they think they have enough to win. And now, I mean, this is basically them – waving the white flag. As far as Scherzer goes, I mean, look, this is a guy who's 39 years old. Uh, he's been to or he's been to the postseason multiple times. Uh, this is a guy that is, is not really interested in being part of a rebuild, and I can understand why. Um, so the Mets – you know, found a dance partner in the the Rangers. We've talked about that uh, for the majority of the season, how this Rangers team has a ton of bats, but especially with DeGrom going down, uh, starting to kind of need some pitching. So you go get a guy like Scherzer, who is a proven ace, even though he's kind of been up and down some this year. I mean, this guy has gotten it done on the postseason stage as well over the course of his career. So uh, you get a legitimate arm to top that rotation. Um, and then the beautiful part about this for the Rangers is they got Scherzer to opt in to his player options for next year. So the Rangers get this guy for the balance of this season and next. Um, and the Rangers have also gotten the Mets to pay a good chunk of the remainder of Scherzer's salary because they were able to get a pretty uh, good prospect back from the Rangers and Luis Angel Acuna, Ron's little brother, who plays second short center field uh, as draws 
has drawn comparisons to Ozzy Albies um, with his play in the minor leagues. Plus 300 hitter, 40-something steals so far at AA this season. Um, so Luis Angel uh, Acuna has the makings or has the look of being like a franchise guy or a centerpiece, that, uh, you know, a prospect that this match team can can build around. Listen, you can spend money to put together a roster, uh, but you really got to have some core pieces and some of your own uh, pieces in place. And so adding Acuna to Ronald Mauricio and Francisco Alvarez, who's really shown a lot of signs this year, really moved forward as a catcher. Um, You know, you got Lindor locked up for the next, I don't know, seven or eight years. You just signed Nemo to a big deal with Alonzo. So the Mets have the pieces if they can rebuild their pen and whatever um, for the future, but the the Mets had to do something, TP. They're they're not going to be there. They've underachieved. So you're at least able to take Scherzer and flip him for a guy that, you know, has the look of possibly being a long-time major leaguer. Uh, but this is kind of a, you know, this is definitely disappointing as a as a Mets fan. You know, they came into the season uh, expecting the world and, you know, and now it's not looking like that. And, uh, you know, who knows, man. Uh, the, the curious thing will be how many other pieces get traded um, off this Mets roster between now and the deadline on Tuesday. I got to agree with you 100% with one thing that you said, knowing that now we're in the era of, what, the 2020s, and this is every every team across the world is a billion-dollar establishment, whether they're worth it or not. They're, they're going to generate a, a good chunk of money, and you're right. They could put money together to put a roster together, but it doesn't, you know, always resolve or or conclude to success at the end of the day. And that's what the Mets thought they could do. They saw the example across town and looking at how successful the Yankees have been, even though they haven't gotten a World Series since 2009, at least they're always in the hunt or in the playoffs or in somebody's rear view, you know, causing chaos. Uh, especially coming towards the uh, month of August and September, trying to make that final stretch toward the end of the season. It just doesn't work out for the Mets, and this is unfortunate because I really feel, to me, I'm going to say this personally, I feel that Max and Justin Verlander did that together. I feel like they both might have had a discussion and wanted to come to the Mets and try to turn this organization around as best as they could, knowing that they were in Detroit at one time trying to turn the, the Tigers around, uh, trying to make it happen again in blue and orange, and it just didn't happen. Knowing that Verlander has been actually expressing himself throughout the season, how bad it's been going in New York, I wonder if Verlander is next to leave. I wonder if he makes, you know, enough of a storm to end up getting taken out of New York as well. But watching Scherzer go at this point in time and not really spending spending too much time in New York and helping another team out is incredible to me. Um I would have never thought that the Mets would pull the trigger on such a big name at this point in time to help a contender out. It's like, when do you guys get the help from other teams across the league? Who is going to help you? Um, especially while you guys continue to struggle. And there's teams like the Braves, like the Marlins, like the Phillies that are in your division doing better than you consistently. Heck, the Nationals have won a World Series, and you guys have not won one since 
86. I mean, you've been there since uh, 2000 with the, well, the 2000s. Let me say both of them. You had the Subway Series, then you had the one against the uh, Red Sox as well. But unfortunately, came up short. When do you guys get back into at least the wild card race, at least to be atop the NL East, at least to try to get to another pennant chase, at least to see another entrance into the World Series? I, I don't think I see it in the next two to four years, but they do have name value there. They do. I wonder if there's more names that end up leaving outside of their pitching staff where they need the pitchers as best as they can because the Mets have been getting roped at this point in time. They can't afford to lose pitchers. So I'm shaking my head right now. I mean, literally shaking my head right now about the situation in, in Flushing, New York. Matt, I, I'm not a Met fan, but I feel bad for you as a you know person that watches and loves the game and Speaking about it analytically, it's like everybody else is up and down in their season and make a run, win a couple of games, lose a game here, so on and so forth. To make it interesting, the Mets are just sluggish at this point, and I wonder when they get back to their strong relevancy consistently. That That's the one thing that I'm looking at. Okay, so speaking of which, I will get into both of those divisions. First, I'll, I'll, start, with the, I'll start with the AL West. The Rangers are sitting at 60 and 45, leading the division. The Houston Nationals are right behind them, 59 and 46. They are one game back. The Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Angels are 54 and 51. They're six games back. The Seattle Mariners are 53 and 51, six and a half games back. And the Oakland A's are 30 and 76, still the worst team in baseball, 30 and a half games back. Mike, your thoughts on how the AL West is going down and another outlook on how Max Scherzer could help this team try to stay atop the division while they're one ahead of Houston. Well, this Rangers offense can score. Uh, They're going to miss Corey Seager for a little while, uh, but it appears that he was able to avoid something major. So, uh, Ezekiel Duran will hold down things at shortstop until Seager can get back, and they're hoping within the next couple of weeks. Uh, but this team can really match, man. So now you put an ace at the top of that rotation. It pushes everybody back at least one spot, so it uh, gives you a, a front-line guy. But, you know, Houston's right there. Uh, let's say you just got uh, Alvarez back in – healthy. You got Altuve back on the field. They've only had those guys for a total of 10 games. Um, listen, I wouldn't be surprised to see Houston get it on Berlander again. They're very familiar with him. So uh, We'll see what happens there and what other moves might be made. Uh, these two teams, though, definitely legitimately have shots at the postseason. And then uh, just kind of looking at the rest of this division, I I think that there's still plenty of time. One of these teams are going to have to go on a run. Um, but I think Seattle uh, and or the Angels could possibly get in this discussion. There's still enough time to make this happen. And listen, we, you know, the Angels are a team that you and I have talked about at length over the last uh, few weeks. And I think at the end of the day, that GM just did not want to be uh, remembered as the guy that traded Shohei Otani. So they decided to. Uh, go ahead and 
and push their chips all into the middle of the table and see what they can do. So they go get uh, Lucas Giolito and they go get Bernardo Lopez from the White Sox as the White Sox started trading pitchers like crazy uh, this week. And, you know, now they're hoping they're going to get Trout back in a couple weeks and, you know, see if they can really make a run at this. But, uh, listen, if, you, if you're losing – you, you do, but I think this team is trying to go ahead and uh, do everything that they can to try to contend and show Otani that they want to put a winning product out on the field. So um, it, it may be too little, too late, but you know this team's looking at what, five games off of uh, five games back of, of Houston right here, and Toronto's right there in that other wild card. So. I mean, listen, they're they're right here in this discussion uh, with a chance to to make this postseason party. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think at the end of the day, uh, four teams in this division still have a legitimate shot to have a seat at the table. It's not going to be that many teams that come out of this division, but four of them are still in play. Yes, and they also lost Lance Lynn out of Chicago too. That that's huge. Um, that they are getting rid of a lot of pieces out of Chicago. And one thing about me looking at the situation, I am so happy to see Giolito go, even though he doesn't have that strong of a uh, a record. He is a good pitcher, and he goes back to California. He's a Cali kid, so this makes it interesting for him to go to a team. Just like you said, they have to express that they are bringing players there to help Shohei out. They got to keep him there. Like I said, I – I would not want to see him leave a, a team like the Angels that don't really even fill the seats and just have Trout there. And Trout is amazing and worth the price of admission, but he's not there season after season. He's hurt right, right now. He's out of the roster. They're trying to get him back. And Shohei's actually started his career out hurt, but he's been there as much as possible, more than Trout to me. So, um, yeah, you're right. I don't. I don't think they want to be the team responsible for letting him go. And a lot of teams get held into that situation that they have such a great, phenomenal, legendary Hall of Fame player. They don't want to be the ones to let him go. So now it's like we got to make this better before we have to rebuild all across the board. And I got to give the Angels their credit at this point in time. Can they catch at least the Astros potentially? But with both of them, not even just the Astros. They could catch the Texas um, Rangers because the Rangers are a game ahead of them too. So it's all within the wheelhouse of that situation. But the Angels have definitely showed that they are trying to make this happen at least for this last month before they get to September and get ready for the fall classic. That is for sure. Moving right along into the AL Central, the division that I'm watching so closely because it just seems like, this is just mayhem, regardless. It's like a food fight. You didn't know that you were going to be in a food fight today. You came there with your, your good lunch, and the next thing you know, somebody throw one piece of food, and everybody's going crazy. Somehow, some way, it's always crazy, and probably the worst division in baseball. The Minnesota Twins are 54-52, and leading the division. The Cleveland Guardians are 52-53, and a game and a half back. The Detroit Tigers are 47-58, six and a half back. The Chicago White Sox are forty-three and sixty-three, eleven games back, and the Royals are thirty-one and seventy-five, twenty-three games back. As we mentioned, the White Sox had a fire sale; they are destroying and in complete rebuild at this point in time. The Tigers are pulling off some shock value wins here or there. The Cardinals, I said the Cardinals, excuse me, the Guardians were actually 
playing well as of late, and they had just lost the last two games um, to try and keep pace as much as possible with the Twins. The Twins had started out the season or the, the second half of the season, the hottest team in baseball after the all-star break, and then ends up losing four games straight. Like, I, I don't get this team at all. I, I don't understand what's going on with Rocco. I don't understand what players are hot in the game. He pulls them because he's looking at a Google chart that's analytically saying to get them out of the game and end up losing the game late. It's like, what the heck is going on? Like, I really feel even if the Twins are successful, they might have to move past Rocco in the next two years. Like, give him this year. If they win the, um, the AL Central, that's fine. They have to look for a better leader with a team with this much talent, and they just got the best player in the land out of the draft. Uh, and uh, Walker is a kid out of the North Carolina region. This kid is awesome. If you have not seen him, Walker Jenkins is a monster. Uh, 6'3 kid out of North – well, he's from the North Carolina region. Uh, they, From what I've seen, he swings a tremendous bat. He's a tremendous fielder. He can throw. Uh, he protects the plate as best as possible. He's left-handed. Uh, he's a free swinger. They, <laughs> I did I mean, I love the comparison because I'm a twin. I got to see him at least get through a couple seasons before they say it. They're trying to compare his swing to, like, Griffey and Bond. And then when I'm like, whoa, slow slow down. But he's, like, he's growing up and, like, patterning his game. He said he tried to pattern his game after them and Bryce Harper. So I don't want to just put all the eggs in the basket of a a guy coming to this team because he's only 18 and phenomenal for what he's doing. But I don't think he's going to get to this team just yet. They're approaching the trade deadline. They ended up getting rid of Jorge Lopez. But I'm wondering if we could stand pat in Minnesota and keep the big names there as best as possible because they're struggling. Byron Buxton, please find yourself. I don't know what's going on. Um, You're in a a sluggish slump at this point in time. And then you have Joey Gallo, one of the names that I think they may end up moving on. And he turned into a favorite for me. But I think the organization may be done with him especially the way that he's striking out at the plate. He has tremendous power, uh, respectively, but he his uh, average, just like Buxton, has fallen severely. Both of these guys lead the team in home runs, tied at 17, and they both need to turn this around while they get ready to approach the month of August and the final stretch of the season in September. Mike, your thoughts on the AL Central as a whole? So I was definitely – Shocked to see I was looking at different numbers last night, and Byron Buxton is not even hitting 200 right now. Uh, he's barely playing around that Mendoza line. Uh, his on-base percentage is 287. Uh, for a guy who's been your designated hitter all year, as we talked about before, hasn't even really played the field, and when he is in the field and he's right, he's a dynamic presence uh, with his glove too. So, you know, hopefully Byron Buxton can get can get this figured out. Now he has shown the propensity at times to be one of those guys that can get hot and stay hot uh, for an extended period of time. So for the Twins, like you hope that you can get him going. Listen. Uh, Sonny Gray was another quality start last time he was on the mound, but uh, still hasn't had a win since April. You know, Maeda kind of up and down. 
uh, Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober both uh, been pitching pretty well. Uh, just looking around this team, like you said, they come out of the break. They're what come out of the break like nine and two um, before they drop their last four. Uh, but this team, uh, things are set up uh, for Minnesota this year. Uh, you know, looking around that division, uh, obviously the White Sox have finally waved the white flag. Uh, we've seen them trade Giolito and Lynn and Lopez and. Um, you know, I think there's been a total of five people uh, so far. Kendall Graveman is another one. I think there's been one more, at least five people traded off this staff so far uh, for the White Sox. You know, they finally waved that white flag. Detroit's still a year or two away, but at least now they got Riley Green back, and some of those young arms are starting to come back, like Tariq Skubal uh, has pitched pretty well the last couple times out. He's still sort of building up his arm strength, but – um, he's still flashing that strikeout, that swing and miss strikeout stuff that uh, we've seen out of him the last couple of years. And then I think, you know, looking at Cleveland, you know, Shane Bieber's out till September. You missed Tristan McKenzie. So the guys that you were counting on being like your top two guys in that rotation uh, have been out. You got kind of a lot of trial by fire by some of these young kids, Tanner uh, Bybee, uh Logan Allen. It got roughed up a little bit yesterday. Uh, this Cleveland team is just uh, a lot of youth, man. And then, uh, you know, injuries to that rotation. This team has, uh, you know, Cleveland made a trade this week in sending Ahmed, Ahmed Rosario, uh, their shortstop, one of the two players they got from the Mets in the Mandor uh, deal. They just flipped Ahmed Rosario off to the Dodgers to play shortstop for them. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily waving the white flag uh, for Cleveland. They got some other good young middle infielders that they think they can replace him. But uh, this Cleveland team, listen, if it were any other division, we would be talking about wait till next year, and I still think we probably will be singing that song for the Cleveland Guardians uh, by the end of this year. But you know, they're in a division where they at least, you know, have an outside shot if they can get hot. But I don't expect Cleveland to be in this. Uh, this is Minnesota's division to lose. Um, I don't know. I don't know. They started out the season this year saying that this is Cleveland's division again. The Twins came out hot in the month of April. Everybody was playing well and – Good thing the Twins are fortunate that the rest of the division is struggling. Can they stay ahead? Potentially, but right now they are down the barrel of a gun, getting ready to get swept by the Kansas City Royals, the second worst team in the MLB. In the MLB, that last I did I beg to differ. The last start that Sonny Gray had, he got rocked. Sonny Gray wasn't giving up home runs. This guy is giving up home runs. Especially in critical times in the game too, he is getting popped. Like, uh, um, Honey Gray, I, 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 we need you. You made All Star team, and I don't know how. He has not had a winning output since April, and there's been times where this team has actually supported him, but he's been giving up hits and runs. And I think by like the third inning of every time he starts, all of those batters are aware of him. I think they all do their homework and read and watch film on what he does, and they crack him. He doesn't have it anymore. 
Tony Gray, you are an interesting name, but you do not have that flair anymore. You, I think they did that by default, bringing you to the All-Star game. Everybody's been up and down. Hell, even Hente Maeda is coming back around for the Twins, actually having good starts and at least getting to the sixth inning and could have a lead or be pushing for a win. You're in the fourth inning struggling to make it to the fifth or sixth, and then Rocco starts playing with the uh, the bullpen, and then they end up losing the lead, and the Twins do have to start to try to put runs together late in the game, too. That's the one thing that they're struggling with, and I don't like the fact that these guys strike out so much. Uh, they had a pitcher that's been struggling for a while for the Kansas City Royals and ended up having double-digit strikeouts on the Twins, and the Twins, that was his career high, and it was no way that he needed to be like that, especially while these guys were hitting him. Just, they did everybody swinging for the fence in Minnesota. Everybody is a home run hitter for some odd reason. When they, this this is the reason why I fell in love with the Twins. They knew how to play small ball. Like they did have their big bats here and there, but they play small ball. They don't even have a thought of playing small ball at all in, in Minneapolis. Uh, it's like where and why and how did this happen? Especially how the schedule is favoring them out of one of the two teams in the MLB at the this the latter part of the schedule, like. You guys have to make this happen. Instead, you're making it interesting. And this is it looks like it's going to carry all the way to September when Bieber comes back. And I feel like the chase is going to be on. That's what every I feel like every time the Twins win the pennant, I mean, excuse me, win the division, they're in a chase. Like, like there's no clear cut. They win by four, six, eight, ten games. It's always that last week. Oh, if they could win this game, they close them out. And they win by two games. They're, you know, they're two games up or three games up. It's never – they should be taking advantage of all these teams that are below 500. You are hovering near them. Like, I, I don't get it. Rocco, I'm, this is unacceptable. Sonny Gray, they're going to have to find a pitcher ASAP. Um, if they don't and, – and he's part of the trade talks. Before the deadline, they're trying to get rid of Sonny Gray from what I've been reading for the past couple of days. It's like, I don't even want to lose him because we need a pitcher. If they get a pitcher that's not well, then who? I wonder when Varlin comes back, the youngster that they had that started out the season well. He's been out of the lineup also, so it, this is a tough scenario to watch Minnesota struggle. And y'all can hear the fan of me. I'm panicking. I'm not going to lie. It, it, it's tough. The AL East, this is very interesting. The Baltimore Orioles are sitting atop 63-41. and 41. The Tampa Bay Rays are 63-44, and 44, a game and a half back. The Blue Jays are 59-46, four and a half back. The Boston Red Sox are 56-48, and 48, seven games back. And bringing up the caboose in the AL East is the New York City Yankees, 55 and 49. They are eight games back. But enters Aaron Judge. He's back, and he did hit a home run the other day. They did win their last output uh, yesterday. Also, Mike, your thoughts on the AL East as a whole at this point in time? So, a big win for them last night, uh, taking the second game of that series with Baltimore. Um, Rubber match going on tonight uh, in that series with the Yankees and the O's, but like you said, getting uh, Judge back to go with Stanton in that lineup. I mean, we'll see uh, what this team does, but I mean, looking at this division, you got two teams at the top with 63 wins. Tampa has just played three more games, and so uh, the Orioles lead on the 
Rays is because of that number in the loss column as they've now both won the same number of games. So looking at this, Toronto has been able to separate itself a little bit. Uh, they're getting Hinjin Ryu back. Also, he's supposed to come back on Tuesday, maybe be part of sort of a six-man rotation uh, with that team with Ryu, Kakuchi, Manoa, Bassett, Jose Barrios. Um, you know, this team is, is – and Kevin Gossman. So this team's talking about uh, since they don't have any off days for a while, uh, maybe going six deep in that rotation. Um, so we'll see. Offensively, they can hit. Uh, George Springer has been struggling a little bit lately. Uh, they've done some things to kind of juggle, uh, move some things around. They have put uh, Whit Merrifield in the leadoff spot. You know, he's a guy that's been around baseball for a while, been traded a couple times, but he was a key, key piece to that uh, Kansas City team that, you know, broke their 30-year drought in 2015. And the guy's still finding a way to get it done. He can play some second base for them. He can play in the corner outfield spots. But they've moved with Merrifield up to the leadoff spot in that order. He's hitting 300 this year, uh, causing havoc on the base pass. They've ended up moving Springer down to the five hole as of yesterday. So, uh, you know, we'll see if maybe uh, that's something that can get Springer going. Uh, Manoa has been better since he's come back as well. So, you know, looking at this, man, you see three teams. Like, if the regular season ended today, you would have three teams from this division, Baltimore, Tampa, and Toronto, in the playoffs as those two teams. Uh, right now, Tampa and Toronto would get those two of those three wild card spots. Houston would get the other one. So the magic number right now is 59. Uh, and that's the number of wins you would need in the American League to make the postseason. You just mentioned the Yankees with 55 wins. The Red Sox are right there. Um, and then, as we talked about earlier, you have Houston, and I'm not Houston, but you have the Angels and the Mariners trying to contend too. So uh, for those guys to get back into this, they're going to have to jump over. Uh, those Yankees and those Red Sox within four or five games. But right now, 59 wins appears to be the benchmark uh, to make the playoffs. Um, so, you know, the, the, it's interesting, too, with this schedule, man, because they don't play each other as much. So uh, you get to see, you know, how these guys rank against the rest of baseball. But this is by far still uh, the best division in, in baseball this year. And it'll be interesting to see how many teams come out of this division um, to join that postseason party in October. I definitely think the top two. So I think that the people that whoever comes out leading the division in the AL East, whether it's the Orioles or the Rays, I think that's how that's going to go. Whoever's in second place comes out. Um, It's going to be a threat for whoever comes in third, whether it's the Blue Jays or if the Yankees or Red Sox end up catching them. It's, it's going to be a threat because, like I said, the Astros are doing well, and just like we spoke before, the Angels are looking like they're trying to make a push too, which is all within realm. Uh, they're fifty-four, fifty-one. They're basically two games back from the Yankees, so they're. This is very interesting to see if they can make that run. It's not going to be a wild card out of the AL Central. That is for sure, but um. The work is cut out for them across the board. Just like you said, this is the best division in baseball at this point in time. 
who wants that second and final wild card spot? This is what people will be watching and waiting for across the board. Okay, getting into the National League. The National League West, I'll start. The Los Angeles Dodgers are leading that division 59-54, being trailed by the San Francisco Giants 57-48, and three games back. The Arizona Diamondbacks have slowly crept downward 56-49, and they're four games back. The Padres are 51-54. and They are nine games back. They are three games away from 500. Boy, have we been watching this closely, and it's happening. Can you get back into the discussion is the question. And rounding out the bottom of the division is the Colorado Rockies. They are 40-64, and a half back. Mike, your thoughts on the NL West? Yeah, so in the West, I mean, listen, the Dodgers have – really been able to sort of take over. They've been able to slug their way to the top. It's crazy. They put Mookie Betts in right field for the first time in a couple weeks on Friday, and then he has to miss last night due to some ankle soreness. So they've got to have Mookie Betts in the lineup for this team. Um, You look, Max Muncy hits two home runs last night. He may not even be hitting 200, uh, but he's coming up on 30 home runs. Uh, you can just look up and down the offensive like leaderboard in the National League, and you'll see uh, in home runs, RBIs, hits. You know, Freddie Freeman is uh, third in batting in the National League and fourth overall in baseball. He's in the top five as far as hits go. Uh, J.D. Martinez and Monty both in the RBI in the home run and RBI race, uh, putting up big numbers as well. So this team is slugging. Uh, this team went and got Lance Lynn uh, to try to help them out. Joe Kelly, that was the fifth guy. That's the other guy that had been traded from uh, the White Sox. So they went and got Joe Kelly to try to help out their bullpen as well. Uh, they the Dodgers have been one of the more active teams. They go get Ahmed Rosario to play shortstop. They bring back Kike Hernandez, another familiar piece to them, to kind of be a utility guy and a right-handed bat off the bench. So this team has already made some moves. I expect them to make a few more uh, between now and the trade deadline on Tuesday. But you know, this was the year to get the Dodgers, and nobody's really got them. And now they've messed around and gotten back in the in this discussion. The Diamondbacks, man, like, listen, there's a lot of ups and downs over the course of the season. This team lost like 9 out of 12 or something coming out of the break. Uh, they have really come back to the pack. And this is where we're going to see what they're made of, man, like, because – there's a lot of ups and downs throughout the course of the season. Even the hottest teams struggle over uh, the marathon that is 162 games. So the question with Arizona is, uh, you know, can they bounce back and pull out of it and, and you know, start to level off here? Uh, they're still right there in this race. Uh, the Giants still sort of uh, overachieving as far as, in my opinion, as far as what I was expecting from them. Uh, as a team this season. So uh, they are right there. And as you said, a game ahead of uh, the Diamondbacks right now. San Diego trying as best as possible to get back in this thing. They're, you know, they're six games back of the Giants. 
Uh, anything can happen. The thing to watch for with San Diego, I feel like uh, between now and Tuesday is do they trade Blake Snell and or do they trade Josh Hader? Those are two guys. Snell has been very, very good in that rotation. Uh, Josh Hader being the closer in the back half of that bullpen. Uh, you know, since they got him from Milwaukee last year, he's kind of held things down uh, in that bullpen as well for them. So do the San Diego Padres decide to wave the flag for this season and trade those two guys uh, that are going to be expiring contracts and see if they can bring some talent back into their system? Or do they decide to go with it and, you know, keep the pieces that they have and see if they can make a run? I think this next week is going to be really big in showing us this. I may be wrong, but I feel like the Padres have the Rangers uh, next weekend. So, We'll see. I, I think the Padres are still one of those teams that still hope they can catch lightning in a bottle and go on a run. And they are, you know, I, I think the next week is going to tell us a lot about what direction this team's going to go. Uh, Colorado is Colorado, man. Like, you know, they're, they're struggling at the bottom of the division. I guess somebody's got to be there. Uh, but, yeah, those are my thoughts on the West. Okay, moving right along, the NL Central being led by the Brewers. The Brewers are 57 and 48 at this point in time. The Reds are 57 and 49, a half game back, making this even more interesting. The Cubs are 53 and 51, they're three and a half back. The Pirates are 46 and 58, they're 10 and a half back. And the Cardinals have now fallen back to the bottom of the division. They're 46 and 60, 11 and a half get back, a uh, game behind the Pirates. Your thoughts on the NL Central? So the Brewers have gotten the better of the Reds um, in their head-to-head, uh, but the Reds have, you know, still shown a propensity to compete. Uh, this team has split with the Dodgers, big rubber game today. Uh, so much youth and so much talent in Cincinnati. I'm still curious to see what this team will do. Uh, you know, listen, if the playoffs started today, we would have two teams uh, out of this National League Central right there in that playoff discussion. And we got you know several teams right there in the wild card. We'll kind of finalize that once we move on. But both of these teams have a legitimate shot uh, to be in the postseason. The question is, can Milwaukee hit enough? And can Cincinnati pitch enough? Uh, so, you know, both of these teams kind of the, uh, the opposite of each other. So looking at Milwaukee, they still need to get Brandon Woodruff back, but uh, Corbin Burns quietly has really uh, bounced back from a slow start this season. Peraz has been good. And then, you know, shout out to South Freilich, who has really come up and uh, been really good for Milwaukee in this last week. Uh, and then looking at Cincinnati, just so much talent. Uh, De La Cruz and McLean and Steer and you know, even guys like uh, Will Benson and T.J. Friedel. And, you know, there, there's even some talk that this team could consider trading Jonathan India, their second baseman, uh, for some controllable pitching. So uh, Cincinnati will be interesting to watch what they do. I think that uh, kind of like Arizona, they'll be cautious going into the deadline, but they will evaluate anything that could make their team better. Uh, you know, and listen, the Cubs are right there now. Like, don't sleep on the Chicago Cubs. They've got 
you know, they're they're a team that some people think might make some trades at the deadline in Bellinger and Stroman and whatever else. I'm here to tell you, Chicago, unless you get a trade that's, you know, it's like a godfather offer, you know what I mean? Like an offer you can't refuse. I would hold steady. You got Swanson back now. Uh, and then this team is now only like four games back uh, of being able to win this division or contend in the playoff picture. So Chicago has had some good fortune against the Cardinals over the last couple of weekends. So you know that that's got to be sweet. Uh, for the Cubs being able to beat up on the Cardinals. Uh, but they are right there again and, and trying to creep back into this postseason picture. Uh, looking at Pittsburgh, once again, a couple guys hurt. This, this team is still young, but on the right path. Um, and then St. Louis, man, like, the, this is another team that is definitely bears some watching. There's been talk about whether or not they would trade Arenado or whatever. I expect Arenado and Goldschmidt to stay there. Uh, I think those two guys and Lars Nootbaar and probably Jordan Walker are probably the bases, uh, like the the cornerstones of this franchise that they're going to try to build around moving forward. But, you know, this is a team that it's going to be interesting to see because St. Louis, if it wasn't for all the money the Mets spent, (laughs) if it wasn't for for, for what they uh, had, the expectations that the Mets have failed to meet, uh, you know, St. Louis would be right there in this conversation about teams, I believe, that are really strongly uh, underachieved as they were picked by a majority of people to win this division going into this year. But, you know, now they sit in last place, and I, I think that pretty much uh, their postseason hopes are we can wrap them up. Okay, and rounding out the top of the conversation for baseball is the ALEs in the division we spoke about earlier. The Atlanta Braves are leading the league, 66 and 36 at this point in time. The Braves are 56 and 48, 11 games back. The Marlins have fallen to third, 56 and 49, 11 and a half back. The Mets are 49 and 55, 18 games back. And rounding out the bottom of the division is the Nationals at 44 and 61. 23 and a half games back. Mike, your thoughts on the National League East? So starting at the bottom of the division, the Nationals, man, lots of good young talent. Josiah Gray starting to round out into shape. This team really took it to the Giants last weekend when they signed uh, Cruz, when they uh, they played well there. You got Mackenzie Gore, still a kid. Uh, a lot of kids are trying to sort of uh, learn on the job. And so, you know, they're trying to build for the future. You know, looking around uh, this division, wow, 49 wins for the New York Mets. Who would have, who would have thought uh, that that would be where this team is? And then we talked about it earlier. I mean, looking at, looking at Philly, looking at the Marlins, uh, these two teams are both right there. You know, we talked about right now. I, I mentioned 59. Being the number in the American League, right now it looks like 57 is that number in the National League. Uh, Looking around, you got the three division leaders in Braves, Brewers, and Dodgers. And then you got the Giants and 
the Brewers sitting at 57. I mean, and the and the Reds sitting at 57 wins. And then now you got for the last two for the last playoff spot. Right now, you know, you've got Philly and Miami and Arizona all sitting right there at 56 wins uh, for that for that last playoff spot. So this wild card race is going to be interesting. Watch and see what these teams do at deadline. Curious to see now that Bryce Hopper has settled in at first base. So Kyle Schwarber can go to DH. Does Philly make a move for a corner outfielder um, or for another pitcher? Uh, what do the Marlins do? Uh, I think the Braves, you know, five and five in their last ten, they kind of hit a little bit of a rough patch. They took it on the chin. Um, in Boston this week, Braves still trying to get some pitching back healthy. Max Fried supposed to be back this week. Uh, but the big Achilles right now for the Atlanta Braves has been the bullpen and that bridge to uh, Rocio Iglesias. Nick Anderson was pitching really well for them. He went on the 60-day IL a couple weeks ago. Um, so you got Joel Jimenez, who was a former Tiger. Uh, you know, they picked up a couple of guys from Colorado. One of them really struggled yesterday. One of them gave, The other one gave up a home run in Boston this past week. So the Braves trying to work on that bullpen. Um, as the deadline nears. But other than that, uh, you know, that team seems to be pretty complete uh, here in the National League, 66 wins. Uh, most wins in baseball, they're bringing back to the kid to start the last game against the, the Brewers today as the Braves have a chance to go for a sweep there uh, as they've now won four out of the last five uh, against Milwaukee. But this is a team that you could see as many – this is a division that you could see as many as three teams make the playoffs, maybe two. I mean, there's an outside shot that you only see one of them. But, uh, you know, this this team, this division is definitely going to be heard from uh, in the postseason. Okay, we do have a caller in queue calling out of 508 area code. What's your name and what's on your mind this <laughs> afternoon? Hi, yes. My name is Matthew E. O'Neill. I'm an author at Amazon.com in 13 different countries. The reason for the call is I watched the Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford boxing match that occurred last night, and Crawford won the match, making him the undisputed welcome. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Slow down, slow down, slow down. We'll get to that. Um, Mike. We're getting there. I'm, I'm trying to get through this baseball as best as I can. He was going to give up everything. I didn't want to spill it out. That's that's like the big plate. I, hold on, uh, caller. Uh, Yahoo. Um, first and foremost, uh, I wanted to, you know, just make sure we clear the air on baseball before we get into this because I was saving that for last. Mike, anything else before we get away from MLB? No, man, just watch the uh, deadline between now and Tuesday. Could be some really interesting uh, things happen. We'll see what uh, if Justin Berlander gets moved. Uh, but keep an eye out. There's a lot of teams that are that are right here, close to being able to compete for the postseason. Uh, way more uh, teams in the race than there are spots available. So uh, watch okay. on these transactions between now and and, and Tuesday. But this is when it's going to start getting interesting. I will say between now and when we come back uh, next week. I, so I like to think numbers and kind of projecting out 
we are one week away, roughly from being two thirds of the way uh, through the season. So, uh, give you an idea okay. of what some of the numbers may project out to be, you know, by the by the end of the year. But I, I do want to throw out one other thing, and, and TP will get into this uh, a little bit more over the next few weeks, I'm sure. Uh, Louisa Rias now jumped up around three again. Right in this discussion, I, I think TP that I don't know if he'll hit 400, but I I contend I think that almost in today's day and time, 370 should almost be the new 400. When you look at all the flamethrowers coming out of the bullpen, how many different people bring gas, and how much harder it is to hit these days because you don't get to see the same pitcher as many times as you used to back in the day. Uh, Louisa Rice is having an incredible season. Uh, in Miami, uh, just you know, keeping an eye on him and where his numbers are. Okay, so before I get this call in, because I do want to get to what he's talking about, the first fight that we had for the evening was, um, and there's actually after that, the, the fight uh, was the matchup between Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. And Justin ends up pulling out a knockout in this fight in the second round. Uh, uh, extraordinary destroying kick to, you know, the side of his head and knocking him out uh, clearly and getting him out of there. Your thoughts on that kick by Justin Gaethje and now being the baddest Emma ever in the land? You know, I this is a, a very interesting fight because I feel like both of these guys have really improved uh, since the last time they Poirier. Uh, prior to Louisiana, man, he's taken on all comers. He's uh, roughed up McGregor a couple times. He's been able to uh, take almost every fight in front of him and do really well. You know, Justin Gaethje is, has improved, and you know, this was a fight that probably could have gone either way for a while. But, you know, once again, man, uh, a good head kick is, is definitely uh, – an equalizer, and you get hit with that just right, and your lights turn out. Uh, I think that Gaethje has done everything that he needs to do to earn another title shot, and I think that he probably will not fight again until the winner of Oliveira and the guy he's fighting in October. I can't call the name off the top of my head right now. So I I think that you'll see uh, Gaethje get a title fight next. I think that the good thing is, is both of these guys, Poirier and Gaethje, both press the action. And this is a trilogy that uh, you can come back to and revisit at any time. There's still some meat left on the bone there. Uh, just because both these guys, uh, you know, love to compete. They love to push the action. Um, they are fan favorites because of the way they push the action in the octagon. So, uh that's something that can be revisited later, but Gaethje's got to address this and go after this, uh, the winner of the of the Oliveira fight in October and, and get himself a title shot. But, you know, listen, he, Justin Gaethje, left no doubt hitting that head kick. He won the rematch. Uh, but him and Poirier have both uh, overachieved for their career. I'm proud of what both of them have been able to accomplish. And this is a, a fantastic win for Justin Gaethje last night. Um, knowing that um, yeah, I go to Vegas almost every year, and um, I, 
there was something he said at the end of the fight that I know that I have in common with him because I've been around the same area that he has been in Vegas. He said, I roll the dice at any time. And he took a gamble in that octagon and, and throwing that shot, and he caught Dustin clean. Um, Justin, I think him and Bo Nicole, I think those two are the fan favorites, and I'm not going to lie, I like both of them. Like, like they, they are the ones that earn that respect. Not only are they kicking tail, but everybody likes them. And just to keep sailing as best as you can, I, I know you're going to run into some big names now, especially with that belt. Somebody's going to want to take that belt off of his waist. And um, that was excellent stuff to see that, that fight go down, especially the way that he got that kick off. And Dustin was actually making it interesting throughout the first round, too, even though uh, Justin got a good body kick in there. Like, it, it was a very interesting electric first round for Justin, but Dustin still ended up getting some shots in there as well. So now that we do have a caller that's here talking about the fight, I do want to get to the mega fight. I didn't want it to be that way. That's why I had to stop him, everybody. I, I didn't want him to start giving out everything out of this pot because this pot has been boiling. I've been trying to conduct the show as best as I possibly can today to not even touch that pot. And he came in and started just reaching in there, and I was like, whoa, hey, hold on. I, I got him because I've been celebrating this fight for the past month and a half talking about this mega fight. And this fight finally got here. And I've been saying it ever since I've been promoting it here. It's like my two sons. I don't want to see them fight, but somebody got to win. And the one I was thinking would win would be Errol Spence. I was completely wrong. Um Terrence Bud Crawford, I don't know how you want me to say it, whether Bud or Terrence Crawford or Terrence, however you want to be addressed, you need to be addressed the right way, the way that you wanted it to be. This is now the Bud Crawford era. Oh, my goodness. I did not think that he would have destroyed, I mean destroyed, Errol Spence. Um, the first knockdown was a jab. He knocked him down off a jab, and it looked like not only did it stun him, it befuddled Spence. And Spence is the bigger boxer and supposedly stronger. After that second round, it looked like Crawford was way stronger than Spence. Spence was slow. He couldn't. He had no crispness to his fight. I think after a while, after he got knocked down, it was like he started swinging for the fences, and it, everything was a looping left, and he, he looked nasty. Like everything that I've seen Earl Spence do up until this point, it's like. I felt like he was like the Marvin Hagler of this era. He does a lot of body work and ends up getting to the head and doing work. He couldn't get to Crawford's body at all. Like, he was trying his best to do body work, but it was like he wasn't breaking him down enough. And um, Crawford is probably the best counter puncher in the game, let alone the best pound-for-pound boxer at this time. I don't want to take anything away from Bud Crawford at all because I love both of them, but I, I picked Spence and was dead wrong. Um, just like he said, this is the Bud Crawford era. I, I can't even take it away from him. I love the guy. He's just picking the wrong boxer at the wrong time in the middle of Vegas. I wish I was there. So many different intriguing pulls and thoughts towards this fight. Uh, Mike, your thoughts. The call is still here. I do want to get him back in here. I didn't want to stop him, but I, we didn't even go over it, and we were still in baseball. I, I got to get him back in here, though. But, Mike, your thoughts on the fight. The call is still here, though. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because you mentioned uh, Hagler right there. And to me, with a lot of skills, but Bud Crawford sort of puts me in the thought of, of a couple of different boxers. Um, not exact comparisons, not really apples to apples per se. But 
you know, I saw Bud do this earlier in his career where he could switch southpaw and be just as effective and sometimes throw boxers off. Uh, you know, Hagler used to do that to people uh, back in his career. And then the, uh, another guy that, that Bud Crawford kind of reminds me of, uh, a, a more skilled version, is, is he sort of puts me in a framework of a Bernard Hopkins, too, in, a, in, a, in the way that he can just subtle movements. He's very, very crafty. He can sort of uh, rough you up a little bit. It's It's hard to really hit him. No slight pivots here and there. He just sort of uh, he just sort of makes you fight his fight, right? Like uh, you know the going into this fight, I didn't know how this was going to go down. I thought that Spence would be bigger than Bud going going in. Uh, there was uh, an intensity about Bud at the weigh-ins. Uh, but uh, Bud was able to handle his power. Bud is extremely athletic. He's lots of foot speed, lots of hand speed, was able to uh, continue to move. And Bud brought a a lot of power to the show. Uh, I think power that some people didn't really um, expect him to have. Like, listen, a a lot of people were on spins on this fight. Uh, You know, I kind of was back and forth. Uh, I, I love them both, kind of like you just said. Uh, uh, there was something telling me Crawford going in, and I thought he could pull it out. I The thing that, that really surprises me is how one-sided uh, this fight was. Uh, you know, you got a couple of uh, knockdowns in round seven. He, you know, took care of business, and it got stopped in, in the ninth round. But I'm I'm glad that we got these guys – in their prime, uh, still both, you know, uh, in a in a premium spot right there in their career. Whereas, you know, you think like we got Pacquiao Mayweather about three years too late. So uh, the fact that we got these guys in the prime of their career and they were able to hook it up. But listen, Omaha stand up, uh, Bud Crawford stand up. Uh, very impressive performance last night. And I, I think Spence is going to end up maybe going to 154. We'll see if Crawford goes up there at some point as well. Um, but what a fight uh, for boxing fans. I'm glad we were able to see it. And I, I don't see how you can walk away from this fight without being extremely impressed uh, with the performance uh, authored by Terrence Bud Crawford last night. I actually disagree with you. I don't think that there's no way um, Errol Spence, I think Errol Spence is done. After that fight, I think Errol Spence's career is over. I don't I don't think he recovered that. He wants to move up, and the fighters up there are going to be stronger, and he got tattooed by Crawford. Who who are you going to be? You, you trying to call out Canelo and them? Like, I, I don't get it. Like, um, and, and he is the one being the loser that gets to call back the rematch, but wondering how the weight class would be. Crawford had to move up so many different weight classes to get here. You're telling him to gain, gain another seven pounds to fight you, and then what? It favors you? Like, I, if Crawford goes up to 154 and bludgeons him again, it's like Errol Spence could be done. Like, and, and, and all of the credit I gave Errol up until this point, 
it's all out the window. I don't know how he regains himself in, in fighting better fighters outside of the welterweight division. Like, you guys fought all of the same guys. He was ready for it. He took away – he said he took away the jab and took away the body work that he was going to do, and Arrow had no other game plan. And um, just thought that he was going to catch a loop and left that was going to end up catching Crawford and dizzying him. And instead, it ended up dizzying him and leaving him off balance. Im- impressive is an understatement for what Crawford did to uh, Spence right now. I, I do not know. Even listening to the post-fight uh, presser and in all both press conferences in the ring and outside in the, uh, you know, in front of the press, he he looked distraught. Like I, I could tell, he probably got emotional wherever he was, but it, he he looked beaten, face you know visibly, and you could just hear it in his voice and what he was saying. I, I don't I don't know where Errol Spence goes from this. He, he can't really take any of those stepping stone fights to try to get back here and so on and so forth. I, there was everybody that I was around. They were saying if they fought again in the rematch, they don't even want to watch it how bad Errol Spence fought last night. Now, Errol Spence is a top-notch boxer, top-notch, and looked terrible. He he looked terrible up against Terrence Crawford last night. But let me get this caller back yeah. in here because I, I I did cut him off short. I, I do want to get him back in here. I did do that wrong. Uh, caller, uh, please give me your name again and where you're from. And now we can get to the boxing talk. I didn't. I stopped you because I didn't want to get that out. I, I, I wanted us to get that out first, but you you were cooking already. I'm sorry. Please readdress your name, please. Yes, my name is Matthew E. O'Neill. I am from Plymouth, Massachusetts. I'm an Amazon.com okay. author in 13 different countries, and of course, I watched the fight last night between Crawford, Crawford and Spence. And I, I'd like to make the point that. Errol Spence was in a very bad car accident in October of 2019. He was in intensive care. He was actually in a coma briefly. And, and I think that that accident has finally caught up to him. And I think the first fighter he fought since the accident was Mikey Garcia. And I really believe Garcia was scared to hurt Spence in the first fight. And I don't want to, you know, make Crawford look bad at all because Crawford's an all-time great. But I think he was helped a little bit because Spence – was greatly affected by that car accident. I I agree with you a thousand percent, but I don't even want to make the excuse for Errol Spence because Errol Spence has actually won fights outside of that car accident. I really feel like that was a bad time and situation for him at the end of the day. But um, even the people I were with was like, they don't want that accident to be an excuse if he loses to Terrence Crawford. And I'm I'm saying the same thing. I'm like, I, I know he wouldn't want to say that. And he was being as classy as he possibly can, saying that I don't want to make any excuses. The better man won the fight. I, I give Pro, uh, Spencer 100% credit for saying that. But he looked sluggish. He looked slow. He, everything that uh, he was trying to bring or do to Crawford, Crawford was not only was he ready, he was so ready to counter on him. And he was landing clean, crisp, precise punches that – Spence had no shot in that fight. Everything, a jab knocks him down. A jab knocks a bigger guy down for the first knockdown in the second round. It wasn't even like they were tired or went through a lot of work. It stunned him. It, it, he wasn't even stable on his feet. So I don't know if I can blame that all on that accident, even though that's a big piece of the puzzle on Arrow's mm-hmm. decline, I, I guess, since that accident is because of that situation. But, uh, Mike, your thoughts on what Matt said, and, and I want Matt to address it as well. No, I mentioned, like, you know, Spence has, has fought. He hasn't been in the ring in 
over a year, but Spence has fought since then. I don't, you know, I, I look at this and, and I'm not saying that that wasn't a significant accident that it did not kind of set him back a little bit. Uh, but I do feel like I, I want to be careful that we don't um, that we don't cheapen uh, what Bud was able to pull off last night. Uh, because listen, uh, Spence has been one of the best uh, to do it, and this was a a, a highly anticipated fight last night. Um, and Bud came in with a game plan, like. Listen, Spence went with what brought him to the dance, and he went with the same game plan that it, he appeared to have gone with his last several times out. Um, Bud came out ready for it. And, you know, Spence is not the the first boxer that Terrence Bud Crawford has made look like he was outmatched. Uh, and at the end of the day, there's part of me that does think that uh, this should be looked at as more of a, a compliment and a tip of the cap to uh, Bud Crawford and the plan that he put together and the way that he was able to execute more so uh, than an indictment on, on Errol Spence. Yeah, and I'd also like to point out the fact that during the accident, Errol Spence was ejected from his car. The car was traveling over 100 miles an hour, and that Spence was actually on a respirator for more than three or four days after the accident. So the fact that he was able to come back and box was great for him. And I'd like to point out that Tommy Morrison's son, Trey Lippy Morrison, he's also a pro boxer, he was recently in a car accident, and unfortunately, Trey Lippy Morrison is currently in a wheelchair because of the accident. It hasn't really made the mainstream media, but unfortunately, Tommy Morrison's son is in a wheelchair. He was a good puncher like Tommy was, but he did not have a great amateur background. Hello? I'm sorry, I was actually muted. I apologize. I, I did not know. I said, really? I didn't know that uh, Tommy Morris's son got into an accident. I've actually been watching him closely um, for the past couple of fights because he was actually successful in his last couple of appearances and didn't know that he got into a car accident. Is he paralyzed or he just in a wheelchair at this time? Is he really done? We lost him at this time. Um, that's shocking. I uh, did not know that, but that's a very interesting story that he, he definitely gave us. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on that before we actually, uh, you know, start to shut things down here at the brush. Yeah, you know, I, I hate to hear that. I, I, uh, you know, we all knew Tommy Morrison, and then, like, like you said, his kid had had some success. And like the caller said, not the not the amateur background, but. Uh, still the ability to punch. And so, uh, you know, uh, I hope that he recovers the best as possible. Uh, if, you know, obviously as a boxing fan, you'd like to see him in the ring. But uh, even more important than that, I hope he's able to, you know, have the highest quality of life, uh, you know, that he can possibly have. Uh, Mr. Morrison there. So, no, nah, man, but just, Props to Bud, man. Like, I, I, 
I had a feeling that he could pull this out, but I, I, I was back and forth going into it. Uh, this was a a decisive victory, and at the end of the day, it's kind of what you want to see. But he left no doubt um, as to who the better the better fighter was. This wasn't in the judges' hands. This wasn't something that you know had any kind of controversial decision. Uh, you know, Terrence Bud Crawford came. He put in the work, and you know he he reaped the benefits uh, as far as you know undisputed champion, the first person at 147 pounds since they went to four belts to be able to, to unite them all and um, put them all in the same camp. So, uh, big ups to Bud Man for his performance last night, and uh, the, it was it was just an impressive showing, man. Uh, but I, I I wouldn't. I'll say this one more time. I wouldn't write off Spence in his entire career yet. This was a uh, this was a world class fighter that he lost to last night, and I do think what you know we'll see. And I know you and I disagree. I think Spence will make the trip up to 154, and we'll see what happens there. Uh, but I'm I'm not willing to say that that Arrow is finished uh, just yet. Uh, I I want to see what happens or or how he bounces back. But, uh, you know, if you're a student of the game or you enjoy the sweet science, uh, there's no way you could walk away from last night's fight without making sure to give up props to Terrence Bud Crawford. I, I give Crawford 100% respect. Um, the way Spence got beat, it's, what what did he do different? His, his fight game is set up off of the jab. Just like... Everything Crawford said last night was the truth. He was basically saying he sets up his whole every shot off of the jab. We took that away from him, and it clearly was no. He he started swinging for the fences and didn't even have power behind taking the home run hit. Like it was just hoping that he landed it, and it, it looked they looked bad for Arrow. Um, he's thirty three. Crawford's thirty five at this point in time. Like Crawford needs to start fighting the fight that's gonna literally line his pocket to take care of the family at the end of the day. There's no reason that he needs to sit up here and waste time with Spence outclassing him and ended up getting caught with some shot that ends up setting him back at this point in time. Everything has to go accordingly for Bud Crawford. However, the only way that I look at this now is him and Boots. They they got to go at it. So Boots and, and Crawford, I think, is the fight right now. Errol Spence could, you know, clap his jaws as best as he can and, and sounds as, you know, lovable as he is because he's professional as he possibly can be. But I, I don't think he stands a chance in that ring with the Crawford and, and wanting Crawford to move up from 154 and he's, and, you know, the lighter fighter as it is. I, I feel like he had to gain weight to get to that 147 instead of, you know, Spence having to lose weight to walk around at a lighter weight and, you know, probably be exhausted or, dry, dehydrated, you know, trying to get all the fluids out of his body so he could make 140. He was 147 on the nose being spent. And uh, Crawford was 146 and a half. I think it was something like that. So I, I know that he, and this being spent, Spence gets to call out the rematch. So, and he said it in the ring. He's like, hell yeah, run it back, you know. And I, I don't think people are going to have that draw. Of course, the fans got all rowdy like, yeah, see it again. But you're, he's going to get tattooed. Uh, I feel like he's better off trying to fight Thurman, a fight that he's been chasing for years or something like that. But I'd rather see Crawford go after Boots and 
watching Booth and him set up for another mega fight within that division before, it dry, he, before he drives that division out and has nothing in front of him because he's fought everybody in the welterweight division that, that has a name for themselves. Okay, so, um, Mike, we are at the end of the show. I need a plug, close out, promo, anything that you'd like to get on before we get out of the kitchen here at the brunch. Man, check us out, sportscitychef.com. We got lots of blogs, finger foods, articles coming up. We released several articles today, uh, this week, my bad, uh, on fantasy football, some some previews for you there. Um, Sirius wrote an article about guys to fade. Uh, I recently wrote an article about sleepers. Uh, Barry and I both got you covered on trade deadline stuff going up uh, in the National and American League. Uh, those articles went up as well. And then we also had a basically fantasy draft uh, primer article that we released where the chef sort of uh, tackled a series of questions that were proposed to us about uh, different draft strategies and different things. So uh, those articles are up there on our website at sportscitychefs.com. Check them out. Like, subscribe. Uh, Please trust and believe any any extra clicks or anything that you put there uh, definitely helps us out there. So uh, check us out there. We'll have some more finger foods and things coming out uh, as training camp continues to unfold. Uh, we got shows throughout the week, uh, Tuesday night, our football show, Wednesday night, the college cookout, and Thursday night, roundtable gumbo. All three of these shows coming at you at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, on this same network, and don't forget, you can also listen to us on all your smart speakers and all those things. Just tell it, play Sports City Chefs, and always on Sunday morning, just like today, Timeless and I coming at you with the Timeless Sunday Morning Brunch. I'm just, uh, I have the pleasure and privilege to be alongside the head honcho, TP. Without you, man, I wouldn't be here. I appreciate and forever grateful that you brought me on as part of the Sports City Chefs family, man, so uh, much love and respect to you. Uh, shout out to the other chefs, uh, to Villain, to uh, Sirius, to uh, Controversy. Talked to Chandler the other day, uh, my co-host for Roundtable Gumbo. He's still trying to hold it together, but uh, uh, going through some things. So hoping to have him maybe back on Thursday. Uh, but talk to him uh, this weekend as well. So uh, hopefully we'll have him back soon as well so check us out all of our shows check out the website check out phiapparel.co use that promo code chefs uh, at checkout to get yourself uh, 15% off on any of your Philly sports apparel needs and until next time man we will definitely do this again I appreciate you having me as always let's watch what goes on with this trade deadline between now and Tuesday uh, the women in the World Cup have to pull out a win in their next game against Portugal to be able to advance to the next round. Uh, so we'll see what happens there as that World Cup is getting uh, hot and heavy. And then yesterday, uh, Katie Ledecky, man, she uh, set a record for most ever uh, world championships in swimming, past the great Michael Phelps with her 16th uh, world title of any kind between Olympics and world championships and all that. So uh, big mark for her doing big things there. Um, so big ups to, uh, to Katie Ledecky in the sport of swimming. And 
just so much, uh, so much out there going on. But uh, thanks again for having me, TP man. It's always a pleasure and a privilege, man. Until next time, man. Laissez les bon temps Peace. Yeah, and knowing throughout this past week or so, Aaron Rodgers has taken a $35 million pay cut, and Dalvin Cook is potentially going to speak with the Jets. Does he make the deal happen? That's news to be watched throughout this week. Hopefully he gets a deal done with whoever he could try to be in addition to across the board. And, oh, yes, we've all been at the edge of our seat waiting to see what Ezekiel Elliott will do. Uh, if the Cowboys will bring him back or not, well, he's in my region of the United States of America. He is in New England trying to get a deal done with William Belichick and the evil empire of the New England Patriots. So this is something to watch close. We are in the week getting ready to get close to the month of August. I could just smell the bird months coming. Football is around the corner. The Hall of Fame induction is coming. Hall of Fame game, Jets and Browns is coming. It's all all down the pipe as best as possibly can. Um, the mega fight has happened. I'm stunned. I'm still stunned. I can't. I still can't even believe watching them get rattled in the ninth round and watching the ref come over there and just wave his hand like I've seen enough. And then Aerosmith looking at the ref like, "What? Come on!" And it's like, you know, some of the times when you watch a fight like that and it's like you want to side with the boxer like he could have gone or watch him get knocked out. No. As much as I feel like the ref was trying to be very cautious in that fight and trying to get Aerosmith to get his, his, uh, you know, some of his punches up, he did the right thing in stopping that fight. And just like Crawford said, the best thing is the ref to, for him to do is to protect the boxer from themselves. And Crawford basically was saying that like, he didn't want to go that far. And before the um, ninth round started, at the end of the eighth round, Crawford told Spence, "Don't come out." He told him to stay there, and he ended up finishing him off. Um, Crawford, this is your era. This is the Bud Crawford era. I got to give you your respect, and I, I can't. I went with the wrong boxer, even though I love both of them from the start of their well, not the start of their careers, but when they started to gain the big time traction uh, across the board. Uh, I'm stunned. Errol Spence, I, I don't know how you rematch him. I don't know how you get back into the the circle of being a big name. The big fish was caught. I feel like they gutted you and they got you stuffed on the wall somewhere. This is this is tremendous for the fight world. Is boxing back? We don't know. A couple of big fights will be coming down the way as well. Everybody stay tuned. Everything that's going on. Sports City, that's all I really got at this point. Y'all stay focused. On that note, tell a friend to tell a friend that it's the chefs again. And if they don't know, now they know. Sports City, Sports City, chefs. City chefs is in the room, cooking up hot topics to put up on your spoon. They well in tune, bloom like a flower in June. Superman vs. MF Doom, the clouds loom. So tell a friend it's the Sports City chefs again. Pay attention, tune in, we on the set again. Sports City, Sports City chefs, chefs. Sports City, Sports City chefs, chefs. Uh-huh.